make your way to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 today. We're going to go through the whole thing, believe it or not. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, right after chapter 2. Can't miss it. Everybody got your Bibles? Everybody good to go? Tablets, phones, the whole bit. Listen, (laughs) turn of the year, here we are. It's pretty crazy how we kind of define our lives by the seasons that we're in. I mean, we are right in the middle of of winter. And I don't know about you, but I hate it. It's the worst season. I'm looking forward to, to spring and to summer and then complaining about the heat. (laughs) And then pretty soon it comes full circle again and we have 20 to 30 minutes of fall and right back in to winter. Um, It's not something new really for us. I mean, it's how we kind of set our future plans and our appointments. I mean, vacation season is, is, is coming up. We've, we've made some plans of our own. I mean, we just, we just passed the Christmas season and the holiday season. I mean, the school year starts and the school year ends, and that's, you know, defined very, very abruptly, and then the summers lengthen and the summers shorten, you know, one more week, you know, and, and, and we're coming to the end of, a, of another, you know, football season and looking forward to, to baseball. Can't wait for that spring training to start up. It's a good thing. I mean, seasons are a part of our life, you know, those big moments we had. If you can remember back that far, some of you, when you finally hit double digits, you know, when you turn 10, and then those teenage years, that's a big moment. And then the decades start to click off, the 20s and 30s. I mean, I'm looking forward to my 40s, you know. It's going to be an awesome. I've heard good things. The season of education with high school and college and marriage, you know, and kids, you know, and our future this summer with my first grandkid, it's, 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 it's a season. It seems like if you really look at it, our lives are either entering into, we're enduring, or we're leaving some form of season. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon has kind of entered in, if you will, to a season of his own. And we've been studying uh, his life in First Kings and through the, through the Proverbs on Thursday night. And so... Really, at this point in Solomon's reign, the throne has become unsatisfying. The focus has been drifting. The thoughts have been entering into his mind and money and labor and pleasure and all the things that Solomon tried, he would take to the farthest point possible. I mean, he had more money, he had more wives, he had more possessions than anybody else. And he soon found out, if you read his story and understand his life that anything as he called it under the sun and we'll see that phrase in Ecclesiastes today this this time on earth is what he's talking about under under this sky is it's not going to satisfy it's not going to work if we don't have an eternal focus if we don't have a God focused biblically focused life I mean without God and he really reiterates this over and over it's all vanity it winds up empty it's unfulfilled. And Solomon ran super hard to find out these seasons just don't do it. But they repeat over and over and over again. And there's really nothing that's worth all of our efforts. <laughs> that's an encouraging thought, isn't it? You're like, man, when's Jeff getting back? <laughs> Not today. 
a life of vanity, that grasping is fleeting. I mean, it's at best inconsistent. It vanishes. It's never going to live up to what we think it should. It's just a life lived for the sake of busyness and accomplishments, doing all that we can do to kill time under the sun, trying to grab all that we can grab, and yet always coming up empty. That's just the way it goes. And Solomon sums up his entire thought process at the beginning of Ecclesiastes. And then he figures out, kind of, he lets us know how he came to that conclusion. And he writes there in chapter 1, I, the preacher, Solomon, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task that God has given to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. And I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed, all is vanity and grasping for the wind. So he sums up his process, his end result first in the book, and then we get to see how he came to that process as we travel through the book. And as we continue in chapter 3 today, we find that Solomon kind of brings to our attention this, this glorious circle that we all tend to walk around in. By this time, though, there's something different in his approach. He's understanding that this is no accident, that there are no coincidences. And we'll discover today that God has set things in order just for that purpose so that we find out that order and that, and that, and that planning. There's so much for us to see if we'll look in these different seasons, the time we've been given, both the good and, as we'll see today, the not so good are designed, planned to point us to that truth that God is real and loves us and is waiting for us. And so Solomon begins there in verse 1, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain, or in other words, a time to win, and a time, sorry, Kansas City, to lose. <laughs> right in the middle of it, just... Came out of nowhere, didn't it? Brilliant stuff. Listen, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. <laughs> Sorry, I just can't help it. It's just the way it is. My pulpit. <laughs> You're just here. To everything. Solomon says, everything, there's a season. And really one of the things we have to understand from all these different seasons is really this obvious truth that God is in control. Always has been, always will be. God works all things together for our good. He's a faithful God. And there's a lot of verses that we come, you know, come into our mind when we think about the sovereignty and the plans of God. That kind of all-knowing wisdom, not just for the now, but for the future, 
everything that's passed has built us to this seat and then on to the rest of it should settle us when things turn sideways. And notice here by this list, that's exactly what's going to happen. And everything on this list is listed for us so that we kind of understand that there are two sides to the equation. I mean, birth leads to death. I mean, we can't help it. It's what's going to happen. We may be sad at times, but that'll pass. And there'll come this time of of dancing and rejoicing, of joy and of, of happiness. Sometimes we win. Sometimes we lose. You know, there's times to hang on to those things as long as you can, but there's also a time of knowing when it's time to just let it go and be rid of it. Each positive thing here has a negative. And likewise, each negative thing holds a positive. I mean, the bad can't and won't last forever. And the same goes for the good. (laughs) And we can settle ourselves in this perspective if we understand who's running the show. And Daniel clues us in. He says, blessed be the name of God forever and ever. For wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. That's what he's been doing since the beginning of time. That's what he's doing today. That's what he'll do tomorrow. And so we have to understand in this the value of our time under the sun on this earth. Paul writes for us in Ephesians that see then, since this time is up and down, that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Christ himself reminds us in Matthew that he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. I mean, it's a balance. It's always up and down, not just for non-believers, but for us as well. The value, though, of these downer moments is easy to see there in Romans. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And, I love this, not only that, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character produces hope. And you guys by now surely understand the meaning of this word, hope. It's not Like we just hope today for a great day. Or I hope I did the recipe right and everything comes out okay for dinner. No, it's a hope that's based way deeper than guesses or variables. That kind of hope really is this guaranteed assurance that God will do what he says he's going to do. It's a familiar verse, hopefully one you guys know by heart in Romans 8, 28. And we know this, right? That all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things, right? The ups and the downs, the wins and the losses, the good seasons and the bad seasons, it all works for good. 
But there's one string attached, I guess, if you'll give me that. It's good for those who call to his purposes because we can understand it. Outside of Christ, we just don't understand it. It's hard enough walking with Christ and understanding it. But if you're called to his purposes and asked for that understanding and that wisdom, we do get it. The plan of salvation and his desire for us to enjoy eternity. So Paul writes this, because of this, let us therefore be diligent, you know, to enter into that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. In other words, just move forward. Understand that there will come a day when we get that kind of rest. You know, rest in the good and rest in the bad. And Solomon kind of shifts gears here in the next few verses. And he he understands these seasons, but he begins to kind of lose it a little bit. And he notices there in verse 9, what profit has the worker from which he labors? I've seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. And he's like a lot of us. That's kind of a tie-in, wasn't it? He's like a lot of us. (laughs) One of the great sins of our life and what's creeping into Solomon at this moment is we become frustrated He's becoming frustrated with the fact that I just don't understand. I mean, this is the wisest man who ever walked the earth, and he doesn't get it. There's not a lot of hope for this crew. I can tell you that. We just don't understand. It's not just Solomon. It's common to all of us. We don't understand, and we become frustrated. And we know God holds all the answers. We know he has all the plans, (laughs) even when he tells us those things. It doesn't make sense to us. You know, if he showed you what he's doing, if he laid it out to you 100%, it wouldn't make any sense because we don't understand what's happening. You know, we're like little children. That's what Solomon said. I'm like a child here. I have no idea what I'm doing. Same here. You guys remember that story in Joshua when when they're, they're walking around the walls of Jericho, right? Remember when you were a little kid, you marched around the walls and all these things? And God gave him the keys to victory on how to win against this monster city that was, that, was in, that was kind of surrounded by this huge wall. He says, hey, just march around the city, all you men of war. You imagine that? Men of war. Just I want you to get out there and walk around the city. Go up around the city once and do this six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark. And on the seventh day, you march around the city seven times, and the priests will blow the trumpets. <laughs> That's a stupid plan. I mean, we're men of war, right? What do we, how do we defeat Jericho? He just walk around the city six times, and on the seventh day, blow the horns. <laughs> it shall come to pass, though, it says, when they make a long blast, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout. It's it even worse, right? <laughs> men of war, you bring the JV band in. And then we're going to defeat Jericho with a great shout. And, and then the wall, then the wall's going to fall flat. That makes no sense. And I know most of you, I know how confused we would be. Like, how long are we supposed to do this? 
We're just walking around this walled city for six, seven days. And then listen for the horn, I guess. And then what do we shout? Ah, no, like a shout. Oh, okay. So we're working on all that. Can you imagine how confusing that is? But this entire exercise is planned for Israel at this time. So God gets the glory. Because we know that the wall went flat. And we know that everything crumbled. And that's how his name became magnified is just do what I say. It doesn't have to make sense. Just rest in what I've told you. You're not accountable. Just do what I told you and let God be God. We have no choice, though, when we read these historical accounts to kind of begin to rest in that kind of hope for our future as well. I mean, he's done it countless times. He's going to do it again. But once again, that assurance and that hope is well beyond just wishful thinking. We have a written word contract from God himself. And he says in Revelation that eventually... God wipes every tear from our eyes. No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, because these former things have passed away. And then he says this, which is an unbelievable statement. I make all things new. Not remodeled, not cleaned up, new. And he tells John to write these things because they're true and they're faithful. That's an important point. If that doesn't get you pumped up a little bit for what's to come, I'm not sure anything's going to work. <laughs> Let's understand just what's at stake here. If you take the finished work that we just read about and wipe out all of the bad, it's not going to happen. There's no more sorrow. There's no more death. There's no more crying. There's peace, finally. Peace and love, and it's eternal, and it never goes away. The beginning of this book sounds completely different. Now is just a time to be born, and a time to plant, and a time to heal, a time to build. There's a time to laugh, a time to dance, a time to gather, a time to embrace. There's a time to gain. There's a time to keep, a time to sow, a time to speak, a time of love, and a time of peace. That is way better than the life that we're dealing with now. But that's what's coming. And patience, while we're here under this sun, in whatever season we're in, allow us to overrule our confusion, if you will, and look forward to this unveiling, finally, of the reason why. The reason why we're going through all these things, and I'm just telling you, if you haven't figured it out, it's eternity. <laughs> all of this, so we get that. That's why we're here. That's why Jesus said, man, it'd be better if you were never born than to be here and reject it all. It's not going to end well. It's mind-numbing, though, in my life, and I know in your guys' lives as well, just how God works things out through the strangest of circumstances, through the most practical events, through the tiniest of adjustments, and it just seems to get back to good. Even though things may not seem great at the time, eventually they always do. But we understand just how quickly things can go south. Because if you're a Bills fan, right, 13 seconds, it all just the bottom fell out of it. 
worst day of my life. I'm not praying for cancer to be healed or hunger. I just, you guys go. I'm just going to go on. Things go south. They go south, and they go south really fast. And we're not responsible for what may come our way. We're not responsible, really, for any of those things. We are, however, accountable for how we react to those various seasons. Everyone gets the same shot. That's what Solomon's saying. It's coming to all of us. But not everyone chooses the right path. And Solomon continues there in 12. He is going down the wrong path. He says, I know nothing is better than because of all of this. It's all up and down. No one knows what's happening. It's just better for them. Nothing is better for them to rejoice and to do good and that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It's the gift. And he's kind of right in that point. That really we can't do nothing about it. It's better just to sit back. Solomon sort of draws a a kind of a right conclusion here. There are troubles. We know that. There are things that we can't control. We know God's going to set it right in the end. But here we are in the middle of it. And I'm not sure where that is. And in the meantime, we should just recognize that we're going to have to labor. We're going to have... To work, whether it be a physical labor or a mental struggle or a spiritual battle. Sometimes, whatever the case, God gets us to a point of rest. And no matter how brief, we just talked about that, that rest may seem, there lies this reward and the ability to enjoy these times. And what we learn is, man, that is a gift to find yourself in a place of good. It's an absolute gift of God. And it's fun to think about these gifts and how God has blessed us. But we have to look for that space. We have to find those things sometimes. And where do we find that kind of foothold to recognize what God is doing? (laughs) We have to understand the word. We have to let our lives be saturated by the word. Because Solomon writes there in 14, I know then... Whatever God does, it's forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. That which has already been and what is already been done. And God requires an account of what is past. So the first thing we have to do to be settled is know that God does these things. God still is moving. That God hears our prayers. He understands our conflict. If we doubt that he's even got his eyes on this thing, we are never going to line up in the proper perspective. That's what James wrote. If you guys lack wisdom, if I lack wisdom, you got to ask. He'll give it liberally and without reproach and it will be given. But you got to ask in faith. The basis has to be in, in, in place. There has to be a reality of God. For if you doubt without that kind of faith, you're like this wave of a sea just driven and tossed by the wind. In other words, there's no stability in there. You just don't have the right foundation. And you guys have been there. I know I've been there. We're doubting God. <laughs> Man, that is a sketchy place to be. That is a shaky Ground. I mean, it seems like we're always on the fence. So we've heard people say that. I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about these things. Can I just tell you something? You're not supposed to be on the fence to begin with. 
You're supposed to be on one side of the fence or the other, not on it. (laughs) If you're on it, you can fall off on either side and you really don't have any say in it. Just pick a side and stick with it. And I recommend the good side, you know. God says, hey, I'll honor you. I don't want you to be, I want you to be hot. I want you to be cold. I don't want you in the middle. Pick a side, you know. Stay off of the fence. Nothing good comes from being on the fence. All these things. We can find this resolve, the same resolve of Job. And you guys remember Job, right? Lost it all in like, I mean like minutes. Wife, possessions, lost it all. But eventually Job comes to this realization. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And he's going to stand last. In other words, he's going to be the deciding factor on this earth. That's it. I can't help it if it's up. I'd like it to be. I can't help it if it's down. But we have to find a place where I know this is going to happen. That's it. That's my focus. Once that foundation is in place, the truths of God, man, really begin to stand out. God's actions are permanent. That's what Solomon says. It's forever. They're effective and they're complete. I mean, nothing can be added to it. And they're totally secure that nothing can be taken from it. God doesn't have to monitor all things. If he said it, it's going to happen and he can move on to the next thing. It's a lock. And these attributes stable our lives when we notice that God does all of this so that we should fear him in the end. And not this weird fear, not the fear that we used to have on, on, the, on the wrong side of the fence, if you will. Not the fear that if we mess up, that God is going to smash us with his big Thor hammer or something stupid like that. If we mess up, he's going to take his hands off the wheel and everything's out of control. Nothing stupid like that. But a true godly fear knowing that, man, he is running this thing. And I've said it a hundred times and I love it. Just sit in the back seat and shut up. <laughs> you know, you will get there when we get there. You know, it's vacation season sort of a thing. And parents, you know what I'm talking about. Just, you know, we haven't even got out of Joplin yet. We're not even close. Stop asking about it. God can't lie. He doesn't make mistakes. You know, more importantly, God can't fail. Those are the things that we do. (laughs) That's the life that, that we live. God is incapable of those things. Incapable of that type of life. Therefore, the promises of God will happen. We can't stop it. We wouldn't want to stop it. The justice of God is coming. That's a 100% guaranteed hope that God will set things right. And that's why God is worthy and only him to be feared and to be loved and to be followed. Plus, since he knows all of this stuff, what's past Everything that's happened, everything that's going on currently, what's coming tomorrow, and you add to that that he's never made a mistake. He knows all these things. He knows what he's doing. It's a plan. And since it's a plan, then everything that has happened to us as people and as human beings under the sun is for a purpose. (laughs) We are part of that 
plan. And it's insanity to think that our lives are just random, that we find ourselves in these random spots in this chance type of life. It's all purposed. There is no action in your life for you or from you that isn't for a reason. Remember, God will use all of those things, the things that come against you, the things that you push out there. He will use them all. None of the good, none of the bad, none of us will hinder that plan. There are no accidents. We can't reiterate that enough. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power of God may be of God and not of us. We're hard-pressed, Paul says, on every side, yet we're not crushed. We're perplexed. We're confused, in other words, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but never alone, struck down, but not destroyed, not killed, always carrying about in the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus and the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. What an amazing contrast that is. The treasures of God, the excellence of God, everything that God holds dear stored in these earthen vessels. I mean, let that sink in for a minute. I mean, God took everything good about him and placed it into your life, into your mind, into your heart, ultimately so that God gets his glory. That's an incredible thought that we are the representatives of the one true living God. Just these these little clay pots, some short, some stout, some have spouts sticking out. There may be a song in there. So we kind of run this gamut along with Solomon, and, and Solomon has this glimmer of hope you can sense. Oh, there's seasons, and God knows what he's doing, and all this stuff. And then he takes this weird turn. And after this point in Ecclesiastes, the rest of the book, he is messed up. He's chasing everything. He writes there in verse 16, Moreover, I saw under the sun. There's the clue. He came back to this earth. He left the heavenly realm and the eternal thoughts and he came back to looking around on this earth. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. And in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. And I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked for there's a time there for every purpose and for every work. And I said in my heart concerning the condition of the sons of men, God tests them that they may see that themselves are like animals. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals. It's all vanity. They all go to one place. All are from dust, and they all return to dust. And who knows the spirit of the sons of men which go upward and the spirit of the animal which goes down to the earth. So I perceive that nothing is better than a man should just rejoice, notice this, in his own works, for that's his heritage. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? In other words, Solomon just loses it. We're all animals. We're all going to die. It doesn't matter anymore. It's too much for the wisest man in the world to comprehend. 
And we're not far from finished here. But we have to see what's going on. We've just spent our time watching Solomon, you know, reason out this meaning of life. The seasons and the ups and the downs and all the things we're supposed to be a part of. We have one purpose. And it's very simple. And like we said, at the beginning of this book, Solomon wraps up this thought process. At the end of the book, he gives us the proper conclusion. And he says this, let us hear the conclusion of this entire process, this whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's it. For God will bring into work every judgment, including every secret thing, good or evil. The problem is, if you bookend these two statements, Solomon wasted a lot of time and a lot of energy going through unnecessary pain and unnecessary struggles just to find out what's under the sun. Nothing. There's nothing here if you look for it. It's, it's vanity. It's nothing. And he wasted a lot of it. Looking for what else is out there on this side of eternity, how can I live a life really apart from God and just have my own heritage and my own accomplishments? It's a dead end. And Solomon almost had it. He almost was at that point, and he just turned. Here at the end of chapter 3, he starts to think about this surface life. He starts looking around how unfair things are. You know, it's not fair. The people who don't love the Lord just seem to prosper. You know, it's a common argument. Those who do seem to suffer. It just, it just doesn't make sense. The world is unfair. It's full of sin. It's full of wickedness. And they run about, and God doesn't seem to check any of it. That's a false statement. God will check every one of them and will judge. He says, look at that, every secret thing. Good or evil, it doesn't matter. It's all coming to a point. Solomon knows that, and he doesn't want to deal with it properly. And then he notes this fun fact. <laughs> We're all going to die. <laughs> I don't like to talk about that stuff. Just like the animals around us, that we're all going to turn to dust. I just turned 53 this month. Because you guys are wondering, how old is he? Like 20? How's he know so much about life? <laughs> I know that I'm, I'm, I, I've got, I hopefully got a few good years left in me. But I am well aware of the fact that I am way closer to the grave than I am the nursery. You know what I mean? I figure I hit middle age about 26, 28. So I'm kind of on some borrowed time here. You know, we're all going to die. It's a terrifying thought. I'm not afraid to die, right? I'm afraid how I'm going to die. I just want to go quick. Just stroke out and fall over right now. That'd be awesome. My wife would hate it, but I wouldn't mind it. I don't want to suffer. I'm kind of a Nancy. I just don't want to do it. We're just dust, and we're going to return to dust. And I'm not really sure what shifted Solomon at this point in chapter 3, but something went completely off track, and he took a lot of time to get back to it. Things have become hard. Maybe the purpose had lost its focus. Whatever that means, it doesn't really matter. The warning that he gives us about a life that loses its eternity-centered focus, you are going to drift 
and spiral and run around for the rest of your days until you come back to the fact that God knows what he's doing. There is no rest, as Solomon soon finds out in chapters 4 through 12, under the sun. There's not one good thing under the sun. There's not one thing on this earth worth chasing, and Solomon found that out. Jesus, however, came to fill that space. And we know that, and that's the only way that's going to get us into that heaven-minded life. He's just not a relief. Jesus didn't come so that we have relief from, from the world, right? He didn't come so that suddenly we accept Christ and everything becomes better. Well, you accept Christ and, you know, the bank account gets fat, the house gets bigger, the car gets faster. Man, that's just idolatry in a nutshell. I come to Christ, but I want something out of it. He didn't necessarily come so that our life becomes better. Paul's life was horrible. Bobbing around the ocean, bit by snakes, beaten, imprisoned, you know, and he's a minister of Christ. Listen, Christ came so that God can fulfill that promise that he's made, that he wants us in eternity. A promise from God to every man, woman, child who ever walked this earth or will walk this earth. A promise that we can have all of it guaranteed 100%. Everything he said, there's no chance to it. It's a promise of, of heaven. It's a promise of, of, of hope and of peace and of joy. All of it. Just pick the words that you like. Just by belief. How crazy is that? Just by knowing the son that he sent. Listen, this is all going to be over soon. I keep waiting for that moment. You guys that have shared some time with me at the pulpit. I would love for that to happen while I'm teaching. That's like a stamp, you know, like a notch in the belt. Like God's going to come back now. We're all like, he did it. We're all zipping out of here or whatever, except for maybe Mark. <laughs> like, see you later, Mark. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> no. <laughs> Mark's a good guy, but I sense he's drifting off over there. <laughs> Listen you got to find Christ. I don't know how else to, to say it. you got to find Jesus in that. I don't know how else to say it. I'm not trying to, you know, the thing that's brilliant about, you know, Pastor Jeff and the ministries of, that teach the Bible is there's no, there's no fancy way to say it. We're not trying to sell you something that's just, oh, we got to make up some new way to code it so that it goes down easier. No, you got to find Christ. You know, Jesus gives us this, this crazy path in the book of John. And we're almost done. In fact, you know, who's closing today? You call her Karen. <laughs> That's her mom, by the way. John says this, or Jesus says this in the book of John, excuse me. Everyone's kind of following him around, and he's talking about how all these things are going to happen. And then it, things get kind of crazy. He says, hey, I'm going to say this to you guys. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He <laughs> says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'm going to raise him up at the last day. That's it. Just a simple belief in that. He says, my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. 
as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread, he says, this came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate. Not something that's fleeting or vanishing, as Solomon's chasing. But those are dead. That's all over with. He who eats this bread lives forever. And it says his disciples there said, man, this is craziness. This is hard to understand. I mean, what are you saying? Who can understand this? And Jesus kind of senses in this time that, that, that everyone's just losing it. They don't understand the plan. They don't understand the process. These words make no sense. And his disciples are complaining. He says, hey, does, does this offend you? You know, these words that I said? He goes, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend? Where he was before. It's the Spirit who gives life. In other words, these things aren't going to be discerned under the Son. These are heavenly statements. They can only be discerned in Christ. He goes, the words I speak are spirit. I mean, they, they, they're, not, they're not going to be understood trying to look at this world. They're life. And he says, but they, there are some of you that don't believe. And he goes, I understand that. I mean, Jesus is such a, a personable guy when he was dealing with that belief and that eternity. But Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who didn't believe and those who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I've said, hey, listen, no one can come to me unless it's been granted by my Father. And that freaks them out. <laughs> it freaks everybody out. And it says, from that time, many of his disciples went back, and they never came back. It says, they walked with him no more. And Jesus kind of looked. He's like, man, do you guys want to go? Because you can go. I mean, you can stand up and go. Man, the, the truth here is resounding. It's like, man, where are we going to go? I mean, really, I mean, where are you going to go? He said, man, you got the words, man. You got the words of life. You're, you're, the, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Where are we going to go? I'm just saying, man, sometimes it, it sucks, right? Kind of tough. But if I can encourage you today with anything, I mean, where are you going to go? <laughs> what are you going to do? I mean, it's all wrapping up. In the blink, it says, it's gone. And then we get all of it. We don't have to deal with this mess anymore. And then whatever we're dealing with, we don't have to deal with it. And listen, like I said, I, I'm not a great salesman. <laughs> I got my ticket punched. That's where I'm going. But if you're here today, I'll have a moment here just for a minute where if you just need to know, if you just need that, that rest, if you're looking around, you know, if you've just been eyeing things you shouldn't have been eyeballing and thinking about things you shouldn't have been thinking about, man, you don't have to believe a single word that I've said. There's a, there's a, there's a word from God that says exactly the truth. That, man, if you just believe in that, if you just believe me, I'll, I'll give it to you, all of it. You don't have to be perfect. <laughs> you don't have to be accomplished. You can be low. You can be abased. 
Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter where you've been. If you just, man, I'm just, I'm going to hand it over 100%. And really, that's, that's why we're here, right? That's why I'm here. That's why these seats are filled every Sunday. That's why we do the things that we do because ultimately, God is good. And I can't phrase that in some, you know, articulate way that, that draws emotion out of you. I don't really, that's not my, that's not, that's not my modus operandi anyway. And I don't have time to deal with it. I'm just telling you that God loves you. He wants to change a life. He wants to switch you from under the sun to eternity. He wants to convert you from, from a life of just looking to a life of found. He wants to convert you from a life of, of blindness to a life of sight, from a life of pain to a life of healing, from a life of mourning to a life of joy, you know, from weeping to from dancing, you know, from, from ashes to beauty. What an awesome, awesome God we serve. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this time, the time in your word, Lord, to just rehearse those things that, that may be up, rejoice in those gifts, Lord, in those lives that are down, in those, in those valleys, in those trenches, that, that it won't last, Lord, that you last, that you're, you're doing something, and sometimes it doesn't feel great, but Lord, we know you're doing something. Listen, hey, if... if the opportunity will be given. You know, if you're here and you need that, if you know that you need it, and I want to give you an opportunity to, to do that today, just to, just to give up, I guess, for lack of a better term, and let God have his way. There's some people that want to pray with you and, and rejoice with you in that day, but, you know, we need to know who you are. And if that's you, I'm just going to give you a brief moment. If that's you, I just, just you raise your hand. You can put it right back down. I'll see it. I see you. And if you just need that touch of, of God to do something great, you've been struggling or looking the wrong way, I see you. Anybody else that just knows? And if, you, if I'm not trying to invoke this reaction, believe me, you know, but, but you know who you are, and God knows who you are, and that's what's important. And so he hears, he hears the cries of hearts. He sees the hands. He, he knows where we're at. He wants to introduce himself today and change a life. And so... Anybody else before we pray? Well, God, I lift up uh, one of the lives that just shouted today that, that need a change. Lord, you said that you, you take those sins and you take those doubts and you take those fears and you, you throw them. And they don't return. From the east to the west, just gone. An immeasurable distance, just taken away and a new life. And I just thank you for that. And what a gift it is to stop looking on this planet and start looking to what you're doing. Start understanding the reason it's you, Lord, that you've done this great work. And Lord, I pray for this, this body that's here, this, the families and the lives that are here. I pray for the lives in the other room, the little ones that are, that are learning about you and your goodness and your, and your faithfulness. Lord, you just grow them. Lord, just give us a great day today, an encouragement today. Do you have it all? You know, you've got it all under control. Not one thing 
out of your watchful eye. Not one thing has fallen out of your hand, Lord. That's what you said. It can't be taken. I just pray today for that, for that peace and rest that comes from knowing that. And God, we just lift all these things up to you. Just pray you gather us here safely next week and just our, our week in the men's group and the, and the Thursday night, midweeks, and all the things that we do as a fellowship, Lord. But you just, just continue to move and, and, and just be in control of, of our lives. Lord, that's what we ask. That's what we want. And I pray you just give it to us. And Lord, we lift all these things up to you in, in Jesus' name. Amen.